Gotta be Brechtian about this. Do you have this like, is a, I feel like podcasts music? are a very Brechtian um, art form. I don't know if art form is the right way to describe a podcast, but like because just the, by virtue of it being a podcast, it like is constantly reminding you of what it is. Yeah, it's not like, like... There, there's not even an illusion of a fourth wall. It's this is just people talking to you. Yeah, it's hello, we're talking to you. We're... I mean, there are like some podcasts that like take the form of like sort of a modern equivalent of like radio serials, like they're, you know, drama podcasts. But that's like by far the minority, since like with those, you kind of have to be there from day one to follow the narrative, which isn't practical depending on how long the episodes are and how long it's been going on while with a podcast that's just like people talking about stuff you can basically just start listening at any point and more or less get the basic idea of what's going on yeah in part because it's like non-narrative it's like especially with like a movie podcast I mean, you know? you, you, uh, there might be, like, inside jokes that you'll yeah. miss, but... It's mostly you are going to, like, pick you're up You're going to understand what's going on. But, yeah, yeah. It, it is a real... It, it, yeah, it is It is a very strange medium. I feel like we're being, like, Godard about this. We're, like, opening with, like, what is a podcast? What is That's language? Very, that, that would make sense, because it's a Godard episode. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, yeah, like, so. it, it makes sense to start off by analyzing the form. Is This is a, a bourgeois capitalist form, probably. I think Godard would think that. I mean, he did do an instant live which is kind of like a podcast that's a really good video where he's like smoking a cigar on the instagram live <laughs> living his best life i feel like he's one of the very few directors we're gonna end up talking about like repeatedly i mean because obviously there's a lot of godard to unpack N- not even unpack that's the wrong word just talk about like yeah. he's got such a vast filmography and like unlike a lot of other directors that are notable, at least in my head with vast filmographies, he's like still alive. So like at any second, another one could drop. I mean, he's not working nearly as fast now as he was in the 60s, probably because he's in his early 90s as opposed to his mid 30s. But like even if he only makes one more film, it would take like a long time to talk about all of Godard. Basically all the other filmmakers I can think of with extremely vast filmographies that would like require such coverage are either dead or like retired from filmmaking. Yeah. He also doesn't repeat himself very often, which might be controversial to some people, but I think he has across his filmography is such, there's like reoccurring themes obviously, but he's constantly evolving as a filmmaker, which oh, I yeah. think changes he, he's like, like I mean, like, even, like, just being mostly familiar with his 60s stuff, as I am, I feel like there's, like, a clear progression you can see. Even from something like Made in USA to two or three things I know about her, they were literally shot concurrently. Made in USA was shot in the morning, and two or three things I know about her was shot in the afternoon. They were made at the same time, and yet just because of the difference in post-production, there's such a vast difference yeah. between both of the films, and there's, like, such a formal evolution that you can see and even from three films we're talking about which i don't think we've actually yeah. mentioned which they are they're yet. gonna be on the Great title job. 
I presume. Yeah, yeah. It's we're talking about two or three things I know about her, La Chinois and Weekend, which are three films by Jean-Luc Godard, all released in 1967, which is like a very that's basically the most pivotal year in French politics. It's like right before the most pivotal year in kind right of before French the politics. most it's like the last year before everything changed, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It's it's For- like on the cusp of something huge. Yeah, and you can you can kind of get a little sense of that in in the films, and I think to to go back a little further in Godard, you can get a real sense of his different political sensibilities if you watch Le Petit Soldat, oh, yeah. which is also about Algeria to a certain extent, but it has considerable more sympathy towards the the like reactionary and right wing elements of the Algerian conflict than his later films do, and it's also a much more, for lack of a better term, like philosophical movie. He's riffing on a sort of Camus absurd existential subject. In that film which i think he would probably by 1967 regard as a rather bourgeois film i don't know i don't have any evidence for this but i feel like he probably would i feel like if you say that godard would think something you're probably right i like feel like you know him very well on that (laughs) level i I just know a lot of people who know a lot about 60s radical people (laughs) they they have a reoccurring trajectory i guess well my uncle who works for godard told me (laughs) (laughs) my uncle my uncle at Gaumont told me. Yeah, even Breathless is such a radically different film, obviously, the than the stuff he made after. This isn't a Breathless episode, obviously. We probably will do, like, a Breathless episode at some point, because it's, like, an fact, important like, thing. the whole, like, vast ideas we have planned, I was thinking, you could literally just do, like, a year-by-year Godard retrospective podcast, and there's so much material that you can yeah. do there. Yeah, like, 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 even in the 60s, I don't think a single year in the 60s went by when he didn't put something out even as he kind of slowed down his output to maybe being like less frequent there's still so much to cover and the 60s like, is, the 60s is also the end of if you're like a normal cinephile you probably think of 1967 as the last year Godard made anything relevant that's a really weird take to me and I say this as someone who's basically only really well acquainted to Godard 60s stuff even the bits and pieces I've seen of his later stuff is so interesting yeah, so I, I, like, I would agree it's interesting but my point and is I like, don't even think that it doesn't I mean some of it certainly doesn't have the mainstream appeal that like his earlier stuff does it's weird to think of his earlier films as having mainstream appeal because they come across now as so radical. Yeah. How is two or three things I know about her not an exceptionally radical film? You're going to say this was the last mainstream accessible film Godard made. You call that mainstream and accessible? It was it was released in commercial cinemas, if nothing else. I um, mean, yeah, they didn't release anything in commercial cinemas. And like, that is true. There is like... A point to be made that basically everything, like the Zika Vertov group period films, which we'll probably do an episode on as well, uh, were not really released in like French cinemas for the most part. They were aired in a lot of student radical groups, communist parties, local film associations, more than they were released in cinemas. On the topic of La Chinois, it is interesting that he made a film about student radicals who were kind of all praxis, no action or praxis that much. All, all, all theory, no practice. All theory, or... no. All talk, no action, basically. All bark, no. All bite, no. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, I understand. They, I... Except for, like, near the end, when one of them decides to kill someone, and then they can't even do that right, because they read the number upside down. It's such a good joke. I, like, broke down laughing watching that. It was so... They just kind of talk. I don't know if you've seen Third Generation by Fassbender. I have not. But in my head, La Chinois and the Third Generation are kind 
kind of opposite. La Chinois is about all theory, no action. And then the third generation is like all action, no theory. Mm. And also the third generation does feel a lot more cynical, but it does come from like a post May 68, post Red Army faction perspective. Because there wasn't nearly as much organized terrorism proper as much in like 1967 as there would be the Red Army faction in Germany, etc. The other thing that's interesting when you look at La Chinois versus the third generation is they're both kind of about bourgeois LARPers in a sense. Yeah. The third generation far more so. La Chinois, it's kind of background noise. They live at in the an ending. apartment that someone rich owns. It's, uh, one uh, of the characters. Is it's one of their like, like rich parents. It's uh, Veronique's <laughs> parents i think they yeah yeah her, correctly. Her par- she's the one whose parents are rich bankers or something yeah she yeah she talks about that that all and her then bankers. jean-pierre loud's parents that scene where he talks about his parents i find quite interesting where he talks about his parents who fought against nazism in the war but now owns a resort that, yeah that's like structurally the exact same as the concentration camp. yeah which I, I laughed i laughed when he said when you think about it it's just like a concentration camp or whatever yeah i mean it is it, it really is in a way it's totally true yeah he is right on another level it is like a silly thing to say but also it is like (laughs) i'm also just thinking on a much less literal level about that you'll see these people who were once genuinely radical and then they slowly sort of gave in to the establishment i'm sure you can think of specific examples basically every like 60s radical who is still kicking yeah yeah way people complain about like angela davis or whoever like that antonio negri a whole bunch of people who as time goes on and I am like broadly sort of sympathetic like I understand why these people become more establishment as time goes on because you watch the kind of organized institutional left of like the 1960s collapse before you yeah yeah Uh, it's like you'll have people who were like once upon a time they were like protesting for abortion and now they're making nfts or something yeah that's kind uh, of how I sort of I mean like read the that uh loud parent or I guess more so his dad than anything also there's a reference to Antoine Attard with regards to his father also but we should probably like cycle back to doing this kind of in chronological order (laughs) so yeah two or three things I know about her I know it was like released in commercial cinemas I guess it was different back then because they didn't really have multiplexes or anything yeah like, this is a pre-blockbuster era of cinema yeah no no it was more you go to this picture house it's got one screen and it happens to be playing two or three things i know about her by jean-luc godard this afternoon and you go see it critics are ecstatic about this movie and i feel like if something remotely like that came out now even off the name brand that jean-luc godard is now this probably would not get a release nearly as wide <laughs> i mean like i actually want watched a film not too long ago at a theater. I mean, it was at the Tiff Bell Lightbox called What Do We See When We Look at the Sky? It's obviously not as radical as two or three things I know about her. It's got somewhat of a similar form. It's got that sort of same, the director whispering shit at you kind of vibe. Or as I DM'd you furiously as I was watching it yesterday, I said, this is a city symphony, this film. One thing that like surprises me about it getting a wide release, even with Godard's name brand recognition, is the fact that it's so specific to like where he's coming from because it's very specifically about Paris but on the other hand I do feel like this sort of idea of like gentrification and like of capitalism driving people to want things they can't afford and that conversely drives them to prostitution even if it's not literal prostitution it is 
I yeah, think there's like a on the nose. There's a very like, resonant society of spec. Yeah, yeah. Change going on, which interestingly and, enough, the situationists really did not like. Hidard did point that out. I chanced upon this the other day. Was the situationists uh, from one of the, the situationists international them talking about Godard in 1966? And they are not fans of Godard in 1966. They say in this brief article that his critiques never go beyond Mad Magazine is a thing they say, and it, which is the, one of the Frenchest things you could say. I love that. It so much. That reminds me quite a bit actually of what Orson Welles said about Godard, which was that the messages of his films could be written on the back of a pen. <laughs> But Which I actually think is... On some level true. Godard wants to tell you things. He has ideas. Some of them simple, some of them complicated. There's like literal pop slogans constantly. Yeah. Which, like, and, I love that. That's actually yeah, I love one of my that. favorite things about um, Godard. Hot take. Godard is a good filmmaker. Even his detractors will concede to him being a good filmmaker, which I think is funny. Yeah, even if you like, think he's ideologically misguided or a hack, you can't, right you can't fight the image in two or three things I know about her where it's just on the coffee. Oh, like, that's one of my favorite scenes in any movie ever, to be where honest. you can't fight the atmosphere of just hearing the pinball game going on in the background as people are talking i'm imagining now like some guy who's like ultra right wing but he's conceding it's yeah i disagree with basically everything godard says but he knows how to make a film i think the only person who could dislike this is doug walker imagine the nostalgia critic review of two or three things i know about her where he's like why are they telling us but it makes no goddamn sense yeah (laughs) complaining about plot holes and yeah there's some things i know about her i feel like the plot is once you boil it down not that complex the form is just it's an essay i mean the story kind of has to be simple because of the film's essayistic nature yeah it's really not that complex and actually what i read yesterday what i found really interesting was the idea of the housewife who moonlights as a prostitute to pay bills and stuff that was actually based on a real life news story he read about these housewives who would basically just do that who would prostitute themselves to supplant their income both just to pay for the bills and stuff also buy like dresses these girls were called shooting stars there was a nickname for them it was that prevalent and i kind of feel like even if it's not literal prostitution you'll see people who are driven to like hustle harder than they need to to make ends meet and also maybe to have some necessities yeah i think there is a risk obviously of a sort of like dumb universalism of going we all are prostitutes under capitalism which i think this film it's, might it's, kind of it's like, kind of true and it's it kind is it of is true not. but like it, it runs a risk of minimizing particularly hard jobs under <laughs> it runs a risk we of, aren't all there are some jobs where it, people are prostitutes because they're selling not just their labor but specifically their body i think that's the best yeah. analogy you can make manual labor jobs obviously that's a fair analogy even not necessarily manual labor but jobs that are still physically intensive where you're on your feet a lot where you're walking around yeah. a lot you can maybe make that argument if it's like long unending shift or even to a much lesser extent if you're like in a grocery store and they don't let you sit down yeah. but like if it's uh, like an email sending job or whatever it's more tenuous perhaps it's it's more tenuous if it is physically demanding work which i totally get not everyone can do people no offense to people who work email jobs but <laughs> I, I mean, I can't job. Do, I couldn't pick up a hundred pounds. And it sucks if it's the only option because it does almost feel like there's like almost the ringing at the back of your head. You always have the option of sex work sort of 
thing because yeah that is something there's a demand for yeah and i think that's something the film captures very well it's not very moralistic about it like a lot of depictions of sex work are obviously kind of grotesquely moralistic about it and they're like no no it's implying there's something like, wrong with it's not saying there's anything wrong with the sex work itself yeah or that the people who do it that... are bad that like people only go into it because they're lazy and don't want to do real work that becomes kind of a reoccurring theme in a lot of bad movies about sex work I don't watch bad movies that often. Yeah, that's... I don't really know that, but I'll take your word for it. Yeah, there's a certain, like, Christian narrative of, like, sin and redemption. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean... Which Godard totally doesn't do in this film. Yeah, Uh, no, no. He's very matter-of-fact. He's very sociological about it. This is why this happens. Yeah, no, he's... The characters really are just... They're not even really characters. They're just vessels for him to explain his point. Yeah, one of the most unsubtle bits in the movie is the bit with the American photographer, (laughs) where it's like, wow, this American war correspondent goes to Paris to, like, buy women, basically, as he's wearing the U.S. flag. It's like... I feel like Godard is, like, even, like, in his more complex films, there's always somewhere in there a very unsubtle fuck you to American imperialism. Here's something you dumb fucking yanks can wrap your head around. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, I think some people might take issue with that or go that it's overly didactic. Imperialism is just very blatantly bad. <laughs> like, no, no. There's I no mean, need I, to, like... I feel like, like you people... should... I feel like why bother fucking trying to be subtle about imperialism being bad? Yeah, I mean... Imperialism is a very unsubtle force. If it's so unsubtle when it happens, why should she be subtle when it, it's critique? Why does it deserve that level of subtlety? I don't really think it does. Yeah, and I think that's a quality that two or three things that works for it quite well. I think out of the three films, it's also the most calm oh it's, oh absolutely it's like i watch it and like abrasive. i feel godard has like a pretty calming whisper not all filmmakers yeah. have calming whispers but godard has a very calming whisper it's calming it's ah uh, there's a coffee cup and he's telling me something does it's that like... undercut the message and that's something that i would say the other two films are in my mind more effective because they're more abrasive yeah yeah i on the one hand, that does sort of give two or three things I know about her. It makes it an easier watch to an extent on an emotional level because you're not being constantly assaulted like you are in Weekend especially, but to a lesser extent in La Chinois. La Chinois is kind of a middle point because it's not calm in the way that two or three things I know about her is, but it's also not violently confrontational. La Chinois has these brief moments of it's like It's got these like brief confrontational moments, but it's also got these moments of calmness where characters are just kind of sitting around talking to each other it doesn't feel like deliberately relaxing in the way that two or three things i know about her kind of does the the bit in two or three things i know about her that i actually thought was very effective though is the bit where they're looking at the mag there's the shots of like magazines and you just hear gunfire in the background i don't know why that moved me so much maybe it moved me because we're so used to seeing photographs of like war atrocities and they lose a sense of immediacy a lot of the time particularly us looking at vietnam stuff from the standpoint of like 50 years after there's this sort of historical distance cultural distance and it's all just a photo but the moment you hear the it drags you back into okay this is a real thing that happened yeah no i feel like godard this is like a very and this is such a surface fucking level reading he thinks the vietnam war is yeah he thinks it's bad like no 
shit. When he's talking about Vietnam, I think particularly in two or three things I know about her, the film feels very indebted to me to the sort of burgeoning French interest in semiotics and the sociology of culture. The writings of Roland Barthes are sort of circulating at this point in France. Baudrillard writes The System of Objects a year after two or things I know about her. You get all of these that, sort of French intellectuals. You get all these French yeah, intellectuals yeah. being like, or the Situationist International, obviously. All these French intellectuals are very much taking seriously the idea that modern industrial capitalism's spectacle through these media things has this political function to it. It works as a kind of dulling agent for critique, that you become so seduced by this spectacle and this sort of modern mythologies that you can't engage in class struggle. And that's totally happening. I'd say even more so now with yeah. like just how fucking much we're exposed to and how constantly we're exposed to to it like roe v wade like ukraine like everything just is happening and there's so many micro culture wars as well that we're constantly exposed to just the sort of yeah and it, it all like, transforms that's... into away from a concrete politics and it becomes just about images whatever like, the fuck is going on on tiktok yeah if you see a war atrocity from across the world particularly when it becomes through the media and becomes it ceases to have that sense of realism to it it becomes another piece of fiction and that's obviously horrifying. And I think that's something that a lot of people, Godard, especially in the 60s, grasped very well, was that, that everything becoming entertainment has this very political function. It's a very reactionary political function. And Godard does, to be very pretentious about it, what Walter Benjamin 30 years earlier said was that the response to the fascist politicization of aesthetics is to politicize art. When I was at the TIFF reference library yesterday and I was looking through the files on these three films, there was a program guide to, I'm not sure which film of the three it was. It was a program guide from some Ontario University or film festival type thing. And it actually just straight up had I think that exact Walter Benjamin quote in it. Yeah, that's sort of what the milieu that Godard strikes me as being in in these films is this sort of post-World War II French intellectual interest in spectacle and art and the interrelations of aesthetics and politics. Yeah, yeah, that's a recurring thing, the relationship between aesthetics and politics, just because film is such an aestheticized medium yeah, more so than writing you, you're sitting in a crowd in the you're dark constantly place. being exposed to images film has for lack of a better term like a sort of dream quality to it also when you're watching a film in a theater not yeah. us on our laptops watching a uh, guitar that way but when you're watching this stuff in a theater with a group of people and it's dark you don't have a phone you don't have anything it's just this giant image in front of you you're just in this room with I mean, depending on how big it is anywhere from 50 to several hundred people. I think it was Paul Schrader, but it might have been someone else who said that seeing a movie in a theater is kind of analogous to church service. Yeah, to a certain extent. And basically every time I watch something at TIFF, which is basically the only movie theater. I mean, it's not the only one I go to, but the Playhouse doesn't have like as big of a crowd, so I don't really get that same sort of a feeling. At the light box, it's usually the majority of the seats in any given theater, usually Cinema 5 on the third floor, because that's where all the rep screenings are for some reason. It's a very small space, which kind of helps that it's a collective experience yeah, that you're sharing with these people. I think the one I thought about that the most was 
it was the Soy Cuba screening just because that was a sold out screening. Yeah. I'm very jealous you got to see Soy Cuba in, in theaters for the record. Yeah, it, it was a 4K restoration, which I don't oh, know Jesus if it's not Christ, a physical release so yet. It felt very exclusive. Uh, I don't know how many seats are in that theater, but it can't be that many because stuff will sell out within hours of it being announced. God knows how I was able to get a Soy Cuba ticket because I wasn't there when it was announced. I got my membership activated and it's like, <laughs> What movies should I watch? Oh shit, Soy Cube, I've been meaning to see that and I could just buy a ticket. Well, now as the next spring season starts, you can't really do yeah. that. Yeah, the stuff we're talking about with like this religious function of cinema has me thinking about, and this is another reoccurring thing throughout early film theory, the writing of like Siegfried Krakauer to a certain extent is also very into this idea of cinema as to oversimplify like a collective unconscious. Oh, cinema yeah. as a collective dream space. And I think Godard is also aware of this. I don't know if he would think of it in the same Freudian terms that Krakauer would, but there is everyone a similar was a connection. Back then. Yeah, yeah. Everyone was a Freudian in the 60s. I don't know if Godard would think of it in the same way, but there is a similar vibe in two or three things I know about her. That it's... movie does literally kind of play out in a vaguely dreamy way. Yeah. As opposed to something like Weekend. That, to me, is like theater of cruelty movie form. Yeah, there is a sort of dreamishness to it as well in Weekend. But it's more like of a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's less, you're not being whispered to, you're being smacked over the head. You're Um, not being whispered to with coffee being mixed that vaguely looks like the cosmos. At least that's what I always think. There's there's a car crash. Like an animal skinned alive or a car crash. The the car crash bit is, to jump ahead a little, I had to turn turn down the volume on my headphones watching it. And I felt bad I, doing that, but I was like, I don't want to blow out my ears. <laughs> no, that's why you got to see it in the cinema. So you can't have your ears blown out like Godard wants it to. Artau would want you to. Yeah, That's what I, Theater of Cruelty is about. It's yeah. about literally like hurting you. Yeah, and I, I respect that, but also at 2.30 in the uh, no, no. last night, I didn't want to You know, I mean, ears. it's like on a certain level, it's one thing if it's a collective experience, and you're making that sacrifice but it's another thing if you're just on your own in your house it's not worth it if everyone's not in on it it's like the difference it's like the difference between a theater of cruelty performance and just going up to someone and yelling at them but i think two or three things i know about her i think it's generally i don't know if you'd agree with this i think it's probably the weakest film out of the three i still really like it oh yeah i'd actually it's a great film where i would say it was my favorite i think like when i first watched it just because i was like oh like i don't know it's like something that you kind of get caught up in just sort of the dreaminess of it all when you step back and analyze it it's like the others i find stronger i mean la chinoise the kind of maoist teen favorite which i respect that it's one of those sort of college student films (laughs) yeah i think knowing a lot of people who were slash are involved in communist parties they will oftentimes tell me that la chinois hits really close to home (laughs) as someone who's rode in a car weekend hits close yeah yeah weekend weekend hits very close to home but i think la chinois manages to capture we're gonna i guess segue into la chinois now it captures a kind of because i think what's smart about the film to to get at it is there's a lot of movies obviously about young radicalism that are misguided in some way but i I think the reason la chinois works is because it's not entirely dismissive of these people they're kind of stupid and silly and no no it's more like he's less i mean that's one thing that i feel like is different from something like the third generation which again is very sort of complementary to it in a ways he's not really explicitly condemning these people he's sort of affectionately mocking them 
Yeah, they are very like it, silly, but they also are. It comes across as an affectionate mockery that's also a constructive critique. It's not like, fuck you for doing terribly. It's, you guys are silly, but here's how you can do it's, better. It's not like, for like a very stupid point of comparison, it's not like an, an Aaron Sorkin movie. Um, <laughs> Aaron um, Sorkin, like, Lashinois. An Aaron Sorkin, would have some middle-aged person be like, you guys gotta be respectable. Like, there'd be this monologue about the importance of being respectable and all this shit. What's smart about La Chinois is that it recognizes that's fucking stupid. It recognizes that these people have very real problems. Yeah, no, uh, the with... issue isn't that they're not fucking respectable. It's more they're so caught up in their little world of books that they don't really do anything. Yeah, they don't do anything. They aren't engaged with... If anything, Godard is doing the opposite of having yeah. respectability. He's like, go out, do stuff. And don't just do terrorism. You should do things that do are connected s- to a broader class. Yeah, group. no. You just, like, like, randomly kill someone. Fuck, I read the number upside down. That is one of the funniest bits in the entire movie, is when she says that. <laughs> I love the way it represents her shooting the person also, where it's like the comic book still or whatever, like the yeah, pop art thing. Yeah, you see the... I, I love that, I think, is really smart. That's also I, something that, I don't know if you've seen Made in USA, but there's I a lot have. of pop art in yeah. that one. I love but Made I think, in USA. I think the other really intelligent thing that the film gets across is that even in this sort of Maoist cell, gender and class stratification still occurs. Juliette Bartow's character of Yvonne is basically treated as sort of second class to them a lot of the time in the film. And, and there is like an undercurrent of almost misogyny in the way yeah, that yeah. Jean-Pierre Lyot's character treats everyone. Even though these people are supposed to be this vanguard of an entirely new civilization. You still have overthrow- the white man who's kind of shitty. Yeah, the same dynamics persist. The hot, and, dumb white boy. Yeah, the same class dynamics are still asserting themselves. And I think yeah. like there's the dumb reading of this, which would to be like, oh, this is how all radicals are. And that's why you need to become real and authentic and da 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 where I think Godard's point is the exact opposite it's things could be better with yeah, radicals things could, yeah things could be better these people are very out of touch as a consequence of their class upbringing to a certain extent but they aren't entirely wrong and it's in the same kind of gendered norms fit into the same dynamic totally there's the bits where Leod's character is groping Juliet Bartow's characters but something like that is like even though this is supposed to be this entirely new civilization we're gonna go back to square one we're gonna get rid of the universities we're gonna do all this it's the same sort it's, of it's like the DSA creep yeah 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 it's like that where it's like these people can use this, the language of radicalism and can use the language of liberation but if it's just words it's meaningless and then people will just use that to like be misogynist so yeah, no, or whatever else Jean-Pierre Loud and La Chinois would be such a good dirtbag leftist he would, he would have a very big Twitter following uh, he would he's also very theatrical he has he the... his character is an actor when he's not like doing misogyny he's like what's real leftist theater he's like writing a bunch of names on a chalkboard and he's then erasing them all of them except with... for Brecht that's one of the funniest bits. I love, the, I love the part during that scene where like he's holding the chalkboard eraser and he like hovers over Brecht and then he like just no he erases something else. That's so fucking. Yeah, funny. you see all of these French and other theater writers, and... writers and intellectuals. <laughs> I love the the dartboard for similar reasons. Um, <laughs> oh, just. You, you can also see Godard's face. It's just a it. really funny movie on a lot of levels. It's funny. It's poppy. 
It's got a real energy to it. We should not leave this unsaid. Everyone in the movie is very hot. Oh, yeah. Uh, What's interesting about that, though, is it's like you've got these three, I mean, not so much Berto at the time, but Lauda and Wiazemski, they're kind of these, like, well-known French yeah. actors. Wiazemski, she'd worked with Brisson. She, yeah, she did Balthazar the year before La Chinois. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what put her on the map. Berto would later on go on to work with Rivette. I feel like yeah. she's very well-known for her stuff with Rivette. She's probably and more Liao, famous obviously. for the Rivette stuff at this point than the stuff with Godard. He's Antoine Zonel. You have to wonder if people in like 1968-7 were making dumb jokes about how the movie is about Antoine Donnell becoming a Maoist. Oh shit, Antoine Donnell's an SJW now. <laughs> the woke agenda has gotten to Antoine Donnell. Antoine Donnell yeah, is... Ant- look what happened to Antoine Donnell. It'd be like the like, we right-wing... We have to shut down the universities. Look what they're doing Yeah, it's like Antoine the, it's like the right-wing, me- the right-wing memes where it's like a normal-looking woman, then the, the picture after she has like dyed hair like a, <laughs> this like is a, what the last one yeah she has like dyed Butter hair that's like a piercing like a nose piercing or whatever and like it's like this is why we need to stop the universities Other very than, funny like, leo Berton, I everyone else in the film is like a non-actor they are people who are actors in any capacity compare that to the almost sort of superstar well maybe not superstar but certainly star power that leo has and Wiesemski. she was in a brisson movie these are known like, quantities though these are people they're who, known like, quantities Wiesemski was good 19-year-old girlfriend, which there's so much to unpack there. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there that we want. Other than that, everyone else in the film is just kind of some guy. And I think that's the reason the film is good, also. Godard always has a little bit of neorealism in him, I think. That's probably part yeah, of it. Whether he wants to admit it or not. Godard, in the film, he's clearly paying homage to Eisenstein a lot, obviously. And the sort of montage is the theory of cinema. But he's also in equal measure paying homage to his mentor, Andre Bazin. The ideal of cinema that Bazin has, you just put down the camera, it's unadorned towards reality. And Godard is kind of mixing the two, weirdly enough. And it somehow works. And that's the weird part. Is he has the flashy montages, the juxtapositions, but he also has the, you can set the camera down on a train for like 10 minutes and just watch people talk to each other. Yeah, and I like I love that scene. It's I, so I, good. It's one of the best in the film. In Weekend, you kind of go back to having these, I mean, some of them aren't like exactly well-known actors. They were like television actors. They're not like, people. They weren't like, they, they didn't have like Jean-Pierre Lau superstar power. They were more in underground French art type stuff. Yeah. And then you also have Jean Eustache. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that right. He directed The Mother and the Whore. He's in that. You have and Wiazemski again. And then you have Jean-Pierre Lau and Juliet Berteau. I feel like it's really interesting. Yeah, all these people, they're reoccurring. It's a multiverse of madness, one could say. Um. <laughs> Jean-Luc Picard in the multiverse of madness. I love Juliette Bartow's character in Weekend, I should say, where she's just yelling about how she's having sex at the farmer. I love Jean-Pierre Lau in Weekend. I yeah. love Jean-Pierre Lau in just any movie where he's just allowed to, like, yell shit. I don't know if you know this. He's playing St. Just, the figure of the French Revolution. I, I know that. He's just, in practice, yelling shit. Yeah, I, he's I love the shit. way he speaks. Like, I love the bit where he's singing in the... Oh, the, my, that, the that bit is so great, where he's like... <laughs> 
Weekend is a really funny movie. I mean, Weekend I is my funniest. favorite. Just I think it's the funniest of the three. Yeah, no. I mean, they, they get progressively funnier. They get progressively meaner. They get progressively more violent. You have two or three things I know about her where the violence is more societal than anything yeah. else. La Chinois, where there's a botched execution that's sort of shown in comic pop art form. And then you have Weekend, where there's like a rabbit piles, that's just skinned alive. There's just piles of dead bodies. Another thing I read out of the reference line, yesterday was about how Godard was saying that you can't kill a real life human being and put it in a movie because that's like illegal. Unfortunately. But if you want to show real death as opposed to just fake pretend death, you kill an animal. Yeah, I get why people are opposed to animals. Yeah, I... I should be because I'm a vegetarian, but I feel like there's a between just like the systemic slaughter of animals yeah. for meat consumption of... versus Jean-Luc Godard killing like one rabbit. You know? At the risk of moral relativism, I think people are rightfully horrified at Godard killing one animal, but they're considerably less horrified at systemic meat industry that does Yeah, no, no. Thing. And I say this as someone who's a vegetarian, and partially for ideological reasons, partially because I've been one for something like five years, and I probably wouldn't be able to stomach meat if I tried to eat it. I feel like a single animal dying is not that big a deal if it's not part of some huge systemic system of killing animals, which this really isn't. Animals die all the time, naturally. It sucks. That one rabbit dying is less than nothing when you, you compare to how many cows- Yeah, but I think the, 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 the violence- Vegan alert, but- Yeah, vegan alert. Sorry, apologies to our vegan listeners. I am not a vegan just for the sake of transparency. I am like vegan sympathetic though. I'm vegetarian, I'm vegan sympathetic, but at the same time, I can't make this switch to not having dairy. I'll probably slowly work my way mostly just eating the plant-based meat stuff. I've had a bit of it. It's pretty good, I should say. It uh, is really good, actually. I, That's one reason why I never looked back. I like this is entirely off topic. Dear listeners, you're gonna have to listen to us talk about our food picks. I had a sausage that was made out of tomato and stuff a while back. It was really oh. good. I was really yeah, shocked by I that. Mean, We're at a point where vegan meatballs are pretty good. I think that to get Italian on this podcast for a moment is very important to me. To get into hint at our past leaning episode eventually where I will um, talk a lot about Italian culture. Meatballs are really good. <laughs> no, no. It's, can I get the cultural significance of meat? I don't want to downplay that. Yeah, but like, it, it is horrific. Some of it is like totally bourgeois, but like a single rabbit dying pales in comparison to that. Yeah. Even if um, it is horrific to see it on screen. It's hard I mean, to I feel like people have the same reaction to Apocalypse Now, kind of. I mean, I'm pretty sure in Apocalypse Now, some animal that was dead in Francis Ford Coppola was like, okay, for a more like low brow Andre <laughs> Rublev with the horse, which I just, I think is kind of funny to be Walk honest. Walk about the Nick Rogue film. Also, were really most killed in Walkabout? I think it's been a while since I've seen it, but I do remember there being. We should do a Nick Rogue episode also. Nick Rogue would be good. Also, Nick Rogue is also riffing on the same kind of industrial future that Godard is riffing off of. I mean, I feel like a big thing, especially in the 60s and 70s, was a big anxiety from everyone from like Rogue to Godard to Fred Halstead of all people was yeah. like anxieties about Antonioni, industry. Also. Yeah. Obviously Antonioni, he's like the grandfather of 
of that. And it's because a lot of that was new. Yeah, now it's just like, okay, we're paving down the forest to make another shopping mall. There's something kind of naive almost and kind of interesting because, oh yeah, we're just assaulted by images all the time and we don't really think about it very often. And I think in part because it's so, both of you and I were both born in 2000. Yeah. And so like, like the culture we have been raised in is a culture of image. There is no alternative <laughs> that we have seen. So Weekend like, is basically a movie about how it is easier to imagine the end of the world. That's literally what the movie's about. I, my reading of Weekend is it's Giddard finally kind of exhausted with commercial cinema, with being a mainstream director. It's sort of yeah, a massive fuck I mean, you. Like, well, I mean, that's, I feel like, what the Finn do cinema thing, which I, I actually, I know people I love think it. that's like corny. I think it's I so it. awesome. I it's, think it's so cool. It's well, so, it's just awesome that he does it in the style that he has always done. It's not the end of cinema as a collect, as like all cinema, but it is certainly the end of an era for Godard. It's the end of the movie. <laughs> It's the end of oh, it's the, Godard. It's, it's the end of mid mainstream Godard because he kind of it he makes the Rolling is. Stones documentary the year after, which, but that's not really a fiction film, so I'm not counting it. Um, but then like after he kind of has his sort of wilderness period as a more underground filmmaker, as an exiled doing Maoism stuff, doing Maoism. Like, people sometimes will argue that La Chinois is Godard yeah. parodying Maoism, and they're going, "Oh, but how strange is it that he fell into it after?" It's like I'm gonna go be a Maoist now. Then do cinema. See you. <laughs> yeah, there's a bit I always think about in See You at Mao, which I honestly don't think is that good of a movie. I don't know Aww. if it's controversial. I I don't think it's that good. But there's a sequence in it where they're talking about they're talking about filmmaking and one of the characters or whoever, like Godard or whoever, who the fuck, it's been a while, says something to the effect of any movie projected in like a mainstream cinema becomes Gone with the Wind. Huh. I don't understand what he's getting uh. at there. But, and I think that's an anxiety that he seems to be trying to deal with in Weekend, especially. And La Chinois is, okay, how do we make a socialist cinema? How do we make something that is, like, actually adversarial to capitalism? I mean, that's literally what Jean-Pierre Loud yeah. is going on and on about in La Chinois. I mean, more so about theater, but you could just as easily apply it to cinema. Artists, like, I mean, across Godard, these like, three movies, working through, okay, how am I going to make a socialist cinema? Because it's, it's like, kind of, okay, we've got something, like, beautiful and essayistic. Let's do something that's literally about socialists. Now let's do something that's ruthlessly. And is like a revolution. The two or three things I know about her is like a social critique. The film after is the depiction of the kind of beginning of a revolutionary movement. And Weekend is revolution of sorts. I've um, seen people say that Weekend kind of falls apart in the second half. I don't don't think that. <laughs> I don't see that. I mean, I do think that the first half is really strong, and I love, love, love. This is another one of my favorite moments in all those three films. The long tracking shot of the pileup. Yeah, it's so good. It's so, so much. It's so funny. I love the bit before they go off in the car where they hit the guy's bumper and the guy comes out with a gun and tries to kill them and he's screaming oh, communists yeah. at them. Or even the bit before where there's like the sort of desaad esque kind of erotic description of the sexual encounter that. Yeah, but it kind of reminds me of Persona by Ingmar Bergman. Yeah, a bit. I, I get what you're getting at with that. Like there's. The audience has to picture it in their heads. I also don't know if you know this, but a lot of what she is saying comes direct from Georges Bataille's novel, The Story of the Eye. 
Okay, that that um, makes like I, and I didn't Bataille know that. is like a Dassault devotee, I should say. Like um, a lot That's of That's not really surprising. He's, he's he's a French guy, so of course he was. He was a French it's, sort of surrealist. So the whole Dassault thing is so funny to me. This is to do like more high, suggesting future episodes. We should just do like one where we watch the Dassault biopics that people have made. I think that would be funny. In part because a lot of them are like trashy and not very good. I feel like that's what he would want. Yeah, yeah, that's not 100%. And I like, do think it's good that we're talking this out as the podcast goes, because it's almost like how La Chinois, in a sense, is kind of about the movie being yeah. made. You see the clapboards and stuff. You see Real the sort Cotillard. of process. You see, you see the cinematographer, Ralph Cotillard. You see the like, cinematographer. Yeah, I know. You see the process in the finished product, which I think is important. And I think we should absolutely take that and use yeah. it. Yeah, and I think Weekend also, as a film, uh, Weekend feels almost postmodern in the way the other two aren't. I know evoking postmodernism is hack shit. No, no, I totally get what you're talking about. <laughs> I compared it to, and this is another pretentious, annoying reference, is there's an essay that came out the same year Weekend comes out that's by the American novelist John Barth that's called The Literature of Exhaustion. And it's his idea that modernism and kind of narrative is at sort of an end, that there's nothing more to do, and that you need sort of like a self-consciously exhausted literature. And I think Godard is making sort of a cinema of exhaustion, for lack of a better term. He's going, okay, cinema is at its end. This is everything I can do. So I'm just going to make one film that is an apocalypse of meaning. And that's where and you get the decide. That's I love when the woman, when there's like the burning car crash where the woman's just like, my army's handbag. Yeah. Like Godard's not even fucking trying to be nice to these people. Yeah, like, like in her i mean i do feel like they're in kind of a fox and his friends situation of desperately trying to fit in with the bourgeois yeah even if they kind of are they move into this plushy apartment they're like someone who's working three jobs to be able to pay rent in new york city yeah. type situation they're trying to be bourgeois they're trying to live beyond their means while in weekend these characters they are living within their means their means are obscenely rich and godard is taking the piss out of them and there's the scene with the like hippie guy that's claiming to be god oh i love like, that bitch you anything your heart desires if you just do me a favor and drive me somewhere and they have all these materialist wishes i love the the sheep that he conjures up i think that's like, probably one of my favorite bits in the movie kind of Boonwell kind of chaplain it works it's good my favorite scene in the entire movie though is the bit with emily bronte though probably oh yeah because it's mean, so really stupid like, i mean it's kind of a stupid movie they go through this like willy wonka ass adventure it, it feels of like meeting a, various literary like a, and philosophical figures it's like a french monty python almost if that makes sense yeah <laughs> bronte python yeah like the bit um, where like emily bronte where they're asking how can we get there? And Emily Bronte is like, do you want poetical or physical? <laughs> and she's just saying. And yeah. she's saying that like reality has collapsed and physics doesn't exist. And they're like, shut the fuck up and they light her on fire. That's so good. <laughs> That's, I think, probably my favorite bit in the entire movie. Such a funny movie. I mean, it's fucked up, but not in a way that you can't step away from it and be like, okay, that's pretty fucking funny. Like the bit at the beginning with the bumper to bumper. Or the fact yeah, that the overarching no. plot of Weekend is about two of them trying to kill each other and get the inheritance. Yeah, money. no, it's almost taking a backseat to like just all this 
absurd. Yeah, like it doesn't matter. Actually. It, it doesn't even matter, but it's like we're presented with these people who are just trying to kill someone for the insurance money. It is pretty funny. Well, they get there, and then they kill her, and then what do they do? They can't do anything. Yeah, Society no, has collapsed around them. It doesn't have any meaning to do it, that it, anymore. The end, yeah, no, at the end of the world is easier to imagine. That is something you kind of think about a lot in the movie. Yeah, like, and I do in, love how like even when they the get end to of the cannibal world. tribe, they have even, like these code names from films. One of them is fucking Johnny Guitar. It's like Battleship attempt in uh, The Searchers. It would absolutely kill Godard to make a movie without at least one Nicholas Ray shout out, I feel like. Yeah, even in his Maoist period. I'm curious. I haven't seen all those films. I wonder if those have Nicholas Ray references in them. No, no. I mean, Nicholas like, Ray watched, is great. I'm it, for it Made in USA, at the beginning, it's like to Sam and Nick. Which is obviously Sam Fuller and Nicholas Ray. If you're going to dedicate your film to anyone, dedicate it to the best. That kind of reminds me of, like, Love is Colder Than Death, which is dedicated to, like, Eric Romare. <laughs> I think the thing that I think Godard does really well in all three of these movies is the sort of self-consciousness of them. This is going back to, like, Breathless, obviously. But he's always very aware of the fact that filmmaking, he's always representing the process of filmmaking within his films. Yeah. Even in Breathless, there's all the jump cuts. In that film, you get a real sense of the kind of artificiality of cinema yeah no and like he's totally like just owning that by the time he's reached this era of his career yeah like, he's entirely some would say up his own ass quentin tarantino would say so i don't know if you know this there's an interview where quentin tarantino said that he like grew out of godard oh fuck that yeah and my response to that is simple yeah you do grow out of breathless you do grow out of band of outsiders to a certain extent. You you accept that these movies are not the end all be all. You then mature into talking about Weekend. You mature into Weekend and then later on when you're like even older and more mature you mature into like his Giga Vortov period and then even later you mature into his 80s stuff. Yeah, you and talk about how great King Lear is. Richard Brody who wrote a book about Godard is convinced time, King Lear is the best Godard movie. By the time you hit the age of 70, you're wearing like a knee-long film socialism t-shirt because that's the most important thing in the world to I've you. I've never seen film socialism. The only thing I know about it is there's a very famous Mark Kermode review of it. <laughs> Have you seen this video of him talking about it? I, I know he was violently disdainful. Yeah, it's him. a very funny video. The best bit in it is where Kermode says, you know what? The Richard Gere version of Breathless is better. Um, <laughs> It's like, if you say so, man, Brutal. if you say so, if you say so, <laughs> that'll show him. Kadard is also like, not watching the Kermoded Mayo film podcast, so. He's, like, going through this and being, like, <sighs> I'm so pissed off at this. Like, no, he's not. He's, like, 80 years old. He doesn't have time for that shit. Yeah, I think, like. He only has time to go on Instagram Live and smoke cigars. I feel like someone should just ask him about Marvel movies, because I just want people to get mad he at would, him. He would just, like, take, like, a long drag of a cigar, which he somehow has in the studio where they're interviewing him and he's like ah no and like he just moves on to something else i need like normal be, people to like know so, who he is like i need like, like who is this like i'm imagining like this fucking like 15 year old marvel fan going like who is this fucking john luke godard guy who does he think he is the one kid in their film studies class like <laughs> steals their lunch money <laughs> as is deserved as is deserved i think like we all need to support the annoying jean-luc godard guy in like film studies maybe we are that guy i that's... came very close to becoming that at one point when i was in film school i sometimes am like that in like english literature and then i became the annoying fassbender, the fassbender guy, which... guy what's what's the difference what is the fassbender guy get up to instead? uh surprisingly little given the voracious 
life of Fassbender. Yeah, when you get become a Fassbender guy, you don't have time for film school anymore. You're on coke. <laughs> God, I wish. There's not but, enough drugs at film school. That's the fucking problem. Yeah, we need we as a society need to like fund we need to like we need to like fund these kids to get like new research drugs that we don't even know what they do yet. Yeah, no, I feel like we're not gonna get like a great cinema movement until like we start giving out research chemicals in film school. Yeah, like stuff that we don't even know. Like we're gonna like MK Ultra a bunch of people I into mean, like making movies. No, because like the problem with film school is like these people are not in it for like the love of the game no one goes to film school like thinking i'm gonna be the next godard which that's also kind of worth mocking but like it's admirable at yeah least. there's something i respect that i respect, I respect that. someone who can say with like a, a straight face that like i'm gonna be the next john luke godard it's better than wanting to be the next james cameron i'll say that much or like the russo brothers or whoever i feel like no one actually aspires to that i mean i would hope so ron it. howard did i don't know if he was a net i don't know who the fuck his parents were if he was a nepo baby but like he got actor brained early yeah. in life god knows what that did to him yeah. to the not... point where he's convinced apollo 13 is the most meaningful thing a person could make <laughs> right to the ron howard heads out there but also fuck you i feel like film is so much less political now because Godard was never not political. I feel like even when he was like 20 years old and he somehow still had hair in like a fucking revet short, you know, he was thinking about like Maoism or something when he was like in between yeah. takes. There is a shift in Godard and the shift for a lot of the French New Wave guys in general that happens because of Algeria, where a lot of them, Truffaut in particular, had a lot of conservative sympathies. And well, he yeah, wrote no, for and like conservative magazines in France. It's, it's weird because like when you look at the 400 blood Antoine Dwinelle like runs away from school and he's like I'm gonna carve my own path for myself which that could be read either way that yeah there could be like a conservatism to this it, it, like I'm running away from the school where my with my LGBT teacher <laughs> trying to teach me about pronouns. Yeah. And I think the reason why film is so much less, it's not to say less political, because obviously art is always political. No, but it's no, less it's, politically engaged. It's less politically engaged, partially people... because there's just so much going on that it's like you make a film, and by the time the film is like done being edited and produced, the issue it's about is like five things ago. I think the other issue with filmmaking nowadays, especially in America, in Hollywood, is there was a brief period of time where like people of kind of working class origins like Scorsese could become famous filmmakers. You could genuinely make the money to go to film school just by working odd jobs. And the most extreme level is like the LA Rebellion stuff. As a consequence of opportunities for like black artists opening up in the 1960s and there being a very small but nonetheless existing financial space for them to make some stuff sometimes, there could exist a much more adversarial cinema than like the resources people have now. Everyone's fucking daughter and son is making movies. Steven Spielberg's daughter is making movies. Well, yeah, that's because she's Steven Spielberg's daughter and she has <laughs> Spielberg money. She's, yeah. to quote Fassbender, rich like Spielberg. Godard also had a rich background. I don't want to pretend that like he did it. Didn't he like steal shit from people to fund Breathless? Or was that like just him lying? Which he could was... be lying. I honestly have no, that's, that's like the Werner Herzog thing where it's like, I don't know how to believe anything you say. I believe Werner Herzog when he says stuff. I mean, I feel like there's a certain sincerity yeah, I guess to him. First... He's okay. like I mean, very like autistic Trier. in a German way. Von Trier's Danish, so it's different. Yeah, von Trier is like, I do not believe a single thing Von Trier is saying about his movies to be true. I mean, and I, I actually... 
I like Ron Trier. I, 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 I feel I, I like I, his I wish, movies. I like I, his there's movies. a part of me that wishes he was dead so I could appreciate him yeah. with like distance, like I can with Fassbender. I like some of Von Trier's movies, but I will say like everything he says in interviews, I assume is wrong. Same with David Lynch for similar reasons. I mean, I don't really know what the fuck he says about his films. And I feel like that's good because like it does feel like so much of his stuff, people like it because it's so open to interpretation. Yeah. Although some certainly more than others. Like Mulholland Drive is basically one of those Rorschach test films, while Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me and Twin Peaks in general is fairly straightforward about the horror of what it's depicting, which like yeah. slay. Yeah, like, it is or weird like that, Inland like, Empire people, is pretty open to interpretation. I feel like people like Lynch because he is up to interpretation. Yeah. To cycle back to Godard. Godard, Godard is something telling you. I mean, you it's like, think. I feel like with Godard, most of his films are very much meant to be read in a specific way, which, like, that's cool. I appreciate a man. Yeah knows what he's talking about and who knows how to communicate that in the least subtle way possible. That's that's admirable in and of its own, right? And I feel like this is totally, like, bogus, but I feel like <laughs> filmmakers who are more personal, their stuff does tend to be much more open to interpretation. And by personal, I, I mean, like, stuff that's focused more on people than on like politics. Concept. You look at, like, say, Truffaut versus Godard. Even though 400 Blows could be read radically, I can see a conservative latching on to it. I can't see a conservative latching on to, like, even something like Breathless. I think a conservative could latch on to Breathless, depending on how they go about it. I couldn't see a conservative latching on to La Chinois. Yeah, well, obviously... Obviously, no. I mean, actually, I actually, weirdly enough, I could just because they like, oh, he's making fun of these people. I think like Weekend might actually be the hardest then. They would watch it and be like, she has a perfect right to be upset about her handbag being burned. Although I feel like there is like a segment of the right that has like almost a leftist sensibility of like despising the elite. They would watch Weekend and be like, look at these leftist elites getting old. <laughs> also like the movie is like explicitly also making fun of anti-Semitism, which I also think is kind of funny. Goddard's less than stellar track record. For the record, I don't actually think he's anti-Semitic, but... I don't know if he said anything particularly bad. It's like Israel criticism. I don't know what he specifically said, so I don't want to comment on it, but... I don't uh, remember it off the top of my head, but, like, I really don't feel like he has any ill will towards Jews, especially since he's usually in several of his films, he'll have, like, a character who's clearly meant to be seen in contempt talk about, like, killing Arabs and Jews. That's uh, Juliette Berto's character in Weekend is talking about at the end she like she and the farmer guy both unite and scream like Jews or, like <laughs> yeah no he's clearly taking the piss out of people who like blame the Jews on everything see and I understand some people will be like well it's not a Gentile filmmaker's place to critique that who cares I feel like if someone is sympathetic to your cause you can't shut them out based on identity well, obviously like, there are certain limits I don't think it's in bad taste what he's doing in that bit a lot of the film is in bad taste, and that's what's fun about it, but I don't think that bit. It reminds yeah, no. me a bit of the bit about anti-Semitism in Battleship Potemkin, where, like, the workers are all, like, rising up, and then the one guy is like, yeah, it's the Jews' fault, and then everyone just starts punching him. <laughs> it's one of my favorite scenes in any movie, because it's what you should do when someone is an anti-Semite around you. Just... Yeah, no, I mean, I feel like Qatar definitely has problems with the left, but, like, if you don't have problems with the faction you belong to, your, the... like, brain is falling out of your ear. Godard is, like, self-critical in La Chinois in a way that's engaging. To quote Made in USA, we have years of struggle mostly within ourselves. Weekend in particular, but I love all these films. But I think what Weekend is in particular good at 
is in just destroying the kind of notion of like bourgeois cinema and bourgeois aesthetics going that like, okay, yeah, all this is bullshit. All this is dumb. All of this is artificial and instead attempting to forge an entirely new aesthetic. And then obviously like he does end up forging a new aesthetic later in his career. Like there's Giga Vorta, there's his 80s sort of return to mainstream. Yeah, the image book type shit, which I actually also really fuck with. I still <laughs> see the image book. I can understand why people would like dislike it. I need to just like lock myself into like a war bunker and just watch every Godard movie straight for like something like three or four days. You would you would leave the world's most French man. You would leave. <laughs> walk out like a cigar materializing what is what is language anyway to get back to two or three things i know about her my favorite bit in that film is where like the small child is talking about language which is like mommy what is language that feels like a sort of godard version of like the much made fun of phenomenon of people being like look what my insightful child said to me and like tweeting it Ruth Conda um, forever. Yeah, yeah, it's like Ruth Conda forever. It's like, oh, look, my smart son is telling me all about how language is a construct. Like, um, like on Twitter, like, my son just found out about the war in Algeria, and here's <laughs> what he said. It works. It's good. Godard is good. Hot take. I think overall, Godard is good. These are some of his best films. Particularly in two or three things I know about her, her and to some of the films he made before, like I really don't like Le Petit Soldat, I should say. I like Le Petit Soldat. But I kind of disliked about it. Godard's worst tendency, I think, is when he just has characters go on these kind of long novelistic diatribes. I like that. I, I, like... I like it too. I think it works best when he also has images to back it up. I don't know. I like it when people just talk. Like we've been talking like about Godard for an hour and yet you can't like stand when like I, characters in a Godard movie are just I like, saying I, shit without I any I should say, I have a perhaps more Antonioni-esque sensibility about this. Or like Tarkovsky or whoever else. I like it when like images speak for themselves sometimes. And I think that's the bad tendency in Godard is to let speaking speak for itself. Well, uh, he's got shit to say. Yeah, yeah, and I'm not- Godard I, is a filmmaker who's got shit to say. I, like, I, I question- I love how he sometimes just uses characters as like vessels for quips. I think yeah. that- rocks like i don't, I don't want to say it's like entirely bad shows up but, and it's like oh hey by the way just popping in to say this like, film is the truth 24 frames per second you know what i mean like there are moments where i can sometimes I, I understand the, the the sort of cringing responses i adore weekend i think weekend is the one that in particular nails the like okay people are talking but also there's like so much of just moving images that are Yeah, so no, good. there's like a like or I remember reading, I don't actually know if this is the case, but I recall hearing that the shot of the car pileup is 13 minutes. But I feel like it's actually like a bit shorter. It feels very short watching it because it's like actually really well done. It's I a mean, good shot. It's, it's an incredible shot. So like I yeah. could have watched like 13 minutes of it. So like, I could have watched an entire film without that shot. That is one of my favorite parts about the film. And it is kind of almost like the opposite of that tendency in Godard you complained about. Yeah, that's why it, it works. It is letting the image speak for itself. Yeah, it's and I do love how much of Godard's weekend is just images speaking for themselves. Or like if there is speaking, it's very much to inform the image as opposed yeah. to inform the thesis. Weekend is a Godard movie that I think manages to take all of the best sensibilities, as and Lachinois too. Both those films managed to take, and two or things I know about her, all managed to have the kind of best and most interesting aspects of Godard's work at the forefront, with minimal to none of what I think people tend to dislike about him. 
I mean, I do, like, there is, like, if you go on Letterboxd, you'll see people saying, like, I love Godard, but what the fuck is this? And, like, I I think Weekend works because it's so abrasive, and I think yeah, it's, like, no, it's, it's like, like listening like, to, like, free jazz or, like, noise rock. It's, it's like listening to, like, late John Coltrane, you know, where where it's just blaring at you and you're supposed to be disoriented by this. I think that's a mental a frame of reference that some people can't wrap their heads around, that, like... You're supposed oh. to find it frustrating. You're supposed to fucking hate it. I love Godard for that. It's, it's I love how unpleasant he can be in Weekend. I mean, I don't feel like he's like softening himself or anything in two or three things I know about her just because there aren't any like rabbits being killed on screen. But it's like, I do think it's kind of in terms of like, content it is easier to digest even if it's not easier to understand it's easier because there's nothing like outright horrific in it truth of things i know about her is something that you could show like a normal person versus i think they would probably react more negatively to something like weekend i feel like you could theoretically get away with showing maybe a senior year high school class two or three things i know about her without that much outcry unless it's an especially conservative school yeah while, like weekend you would get like death threats from there so that's where you would get like Doug Walker breaking down your door. Um, you would have like Tucker Carlson on TV saying like, "This is what the left is showing your kids." The scene from Weekend where like really, black revolutionaries are talking to the camera. I wish stuff like this was being made, and I know it's stuff like this is made still. But like, I wish there was like a mainstream capacity for this kind of work. Yeah, I know. Because I feel like, like if it did, imagine the Tucker Carlson. No, it would be about great. Because like, what the fuck was Tucker Carlson doing in like 1967? There weren't like, I mean. And there were conservative ideologues back but like i mean a lot of conservatives of like the era were also like very like oh we need to protect art from these people who seek to destroy it yeah well now it's more like we need to protect the children from groomers yeah Luc Godard. yeah yeah jean-luc Godard is trying to groom your children into talking about the meaning of language he's trying to groom your children into being maoists you want your children to think about what a Maoist theater would look like. It's like to Lashinoa school and they come back being like, do we think that Brecht is radical theater? Why or why not? Yes or no? That's like, a school. That's a school. Potatoes. That's the meme where it's like, I would go to school if that was the teacher and this was the textbook. I would go to school if this was the teacher, if this was the textbook, if this was the playwright that there was a picture of on the wall. If this was the little red book. I would read if this was the book. It's the red book from La Chinois. La Chinois is in Weekend, and all these films like should 100% be shown to high schoolers, I think. Maybe not high school. Certainly, like, college students. Yeah, I think, I think like, a college student could, could appreciate If you're, it. like, 19 years old, you can fucking handle Weekend. I'm sorry, like... It's really funny. So I'm much... scrolling through the, the, the reviews on Letterboxd of Weekend right now as we're recording. I mean, isn't there, like, at the beginning of the film, like, there's literally a thing at the beginning of Weekend that's, like, don't watch this if you're a kid. <laughs> that's not, like, hyperbole. It's it literally says prohibited to children under 18. Like, they, yeah. Godard, like, knew that, like, a kid should not be watching this. I'm reading just the letterbox reviews right now. And it's hilarious to see these people who are giving it, like, one star and are really angry about it. Lots of very angry people calling it facile and not very smart. And It's very smart. It's one of those, I mean, I love it. It's uh, just... People are saying it's an emperor's new clothes of cinema. That's such a stupid thing. Like This is such like a, I'm going to go on, this will probably be where we end it. Um, the most like stupid fucking like American approach to art 
to be like Ghadari, we're going to complain about Americans at the end because this is a Canadian podcast, first and foremost. And like the stupid tendency of like Americans or like to think about art in terms of like, it's trying to trick me into thinking it's smart. That's how like they approach everything. And this is a sentiment that drives me up the wall. And it's like, what if I get tricked into liking something that isn't good? That's a fear people tend to have. And it's like, if you like something that's good, it's good. <laughs> if you like something and it moves you, it's good. It doesn't matter if the filmmakers intended you to enjoy it the way you did. If you got something out of it, good. If you watch Weekend and think it's trash, or you watch any of these movies and think it's trash, and think we're both assholes, first of all, thank you for listening this far. Thank you. I'm, um, I'm so glad. It's like listening to a podcast about a movie I fucking hate. Yeah, like if you think we're both like characters in a Godard movie, that's fine. Thank you. <laughs> But that's like, a compliment yeah that to me is them telling me i think you're way smarter than you actually are if you think this movie is pretentious and we're reading way too much into it that's fine i just want to encourage anyone who thinks like that to think about it a little more maybe and to go <laughs> okay Response and to abandon to... this like stupid fucking american type anxiety the funniest possible response to weekend is it's boring. It's not boring. That's, like, that's it the isn't. funniest thing you could say about that movie. It's I, like, it's this, not, it's bombastic. Like so much is happening. It's like, like, I get thinking Antonioni is boring. It's wrong, but I get it because he's like actively trying to bore you to the point where you start thinking about shit. Cause there's nothing. Yeah. Else. Watching like Kiarostami or like Tarkovsky and you're like, okay, this doesn't work for me. I can understand that. I think I mean, they're I wrong. I get thinking that like Godard doesn't work for me because I hate leftism for some or you, reason or you hate the sort of aesthetic radicalism i hate like, the pop art radicalism type he, stuff he does the aestheticism of it all he's kind of trying to reclaim aesthetics or whatever from yeah like i think there are like reasons to dislike Godard that i think are like fair I, I hate I, Weekend because I love Cars and I don't think they've done anything bad or slash sob in Outrage <laughs> is there a sob in Weekend I don't I'm not actually sure. I, I don't know enough about cars. To I comment. should have checked the like car movie database to figure this out. Because yeah, like what cars are there? Like um, I, I assume there's a lot of French cars. Yeah, good. I mean Bergman actually is called Godard doll, and it's like, dude. Yeah, I Bert like. <laughs> I, I, I say this as someone who loves Bergman, who like. And it's just very solemn. I, I think Bergman can't. I spent like a good can't... chunk of my Serb money on the fucking Bergman box set. So like, it's but not like I don't like, like Bergman, but it's like, you're you're gonna call someone else doll? I think like You're Bergman, gonna call someone else affected, intellectual, and self-obsessed? But I think Bergman is very like chronically serious a lot of the time in a way that Godard isn't. <laughs> I, I mean, Bergman is funny. Of... I don't think Bergman would do anything like setting Emily Bronte on fire. No, no, no. His sense of humor is, like, much more. He's Swedish. Godard is Fred. There's a cultural clash there. Godard's humor is, like, collage and sort of destructive. Yeah, no, I mean, Godard is, like, interested in, like, tearing shit apart. Well, like... Bergman's humor is a lot more, like, classical, almost, yeah, I would say. No, like, it reminds like, me of the jokes in Shakespeare, almost. They can be yeah. very easy to miss, I guess I'm saying, when you're yeah, watching. Yeah, no, because they're, like, mired in, like, this dour stuff that's happening, and, like, you might not pick up on it. Godard is, like, doing jokes. And that's one thing, like, people who are, like, convinced that Weekend isn't very funny, hard to believe. Like, I think it's a laugh riot. This is a perfect, perfectly funny movie. It's very, um serious and very a film um, for people doing liberal arts majors to gush and fawn over that on letterbox is that <laughs> that's on 
letterboxed about we can't. Uh, they like, called us out. Liberal arts majors are not fucking watching. Like a lot yeah. of people who like like the people who hate it are like the people who are like in their liberal arts class and like they have like a professor who's way too cool to be teaching them, showing them weekend, and they're like, this fucking sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, Godard bourgeois prick. Oh, yeah. that's brutal. That's, yeah, that's like, brutal, but it's perhaps deserved. I think, like, you are allowed to be mad at this movie, but... I'm I, not mad at it. It's funny to call it boring because it's like... No, it's not. It's, it's very it's, abrasive. It's, it's abrasive. Very... It's offensive. It's not for everyone, but it's not boring. Stuff it's Godard, is constantly it's, happening. It's Godard's jackass, if you will. If you find masculine, feminine boring, I can almost see that because that's just people talking. Like this, it feels weird to call it boring. It's the least boring Godard film or among them. Like, I don't really think of Godard as a filmmaker who like is even remotely synonymous with boredom. I think people tend to gravitate to, like, early Godard because there's a thread of kind of genre cinema to it, like Alphaville, Band Apart. I mean, um, I do love Alphaville. Les Petits Soldats, Breathless, all have this very, like... And I think that's why the people like Tarantino gravitate to about Godard. Is yeah, no, Tarantino's like, like a fucking hack. <laughs> I agree. I think what they gravitate to is, like, the crime film aspirations. What I like about Alphaville is, like, it's not not a genre film, but it's also not, like, really a abandoning any of Godard's philosophical tendencies. And I do love, like, this kind of reminds me of something to do with Lars von Trier. I like how it's one of his more romantic films yeah. in this cold, cold world. Clay. And I'm just, like, a massive softie. I, too, am a massive softie, despite our hard exteriors and us gushing about Weekend. If you give us genuine connection in romance in the world, no, uh, no, I'll fuck like, with that. I fuck with Cirque. I fuck with Fassbender. I fuck, fuck with, with THX 1138, the George Lucas movie. There's this bit in like this newspaper that's talking about how influential Godard is. And it's to U.S. film students like George Lucas, 23, who just won a first prize at the National Student Film Festival with his Alphaville-esque fantasy THX 1138. Yeah. Godard's work is extremely important. He says, when you find someone who's going the same direction as you, you don't feel so alone. Aww. And as we know, George Lucas continued that direction and made continually more experimental films. Please don't verify this claim. It's right. I want to end on, on an anecdote of my own, which is from the book New Waves by Jeffrey Newell Smith. It's called Making Waves. Sorry, Making Waves. There's a quote from it. This is from 1958 about Godard. He communicated his enthusiasm for Igmar Bergman in an article called Bergnomania, issue 85, July 1958, concluding, I adore summer interlude. And in a telegram from Berlin, which breathlessly declared Heidegger plus Jardou equals Bergman. Oh. Um, he, he seems to have been fairly well acquainted with Jardou, but it is uncertain whether he had actually read very deeply in Heidegger. <laughs> Just like me, for real, just name-dropping Heidegger randomly. I love that Jeffrey Noel Smith feels the need to include the parenthetical of, like, we are unsure if he is He's a fake Heidegger. fucking Heidegger fan. These fucking fake Heideggerians. That's actually, like, unironically a real problem if you're ever in, like, an academic humanities context is people talking about Heidegger too much. We can save that later. But, yeah, I love that quote. I love that bit. 
Because it gets at what's both annoying and fun about Godard. I do like, for the lack of a better word, his postmodern tendencies. It's somehow less obnoxious when filmmakers in the 60s do that than when they do that now. Like I said, I just watched Made in USA and there's a character named like Doris Mizuguchi. <laughs> it's not just Godard who does that. This is a kind of foreshadowing the next episode. But in Love is Colder Than Death, there's a character who's literally named Erica Romare. But when there's Lars von like... Trier does this, I scream fuck off at the screen. Well, Lars von Trier, it's not like he'll like do that it's not like he'll make a movie where it's like this is like leia tarkovsky or like some yeah shit like that he doesn't have the like balls to do that he'll just be like he'll make antichrist and it's be like dedicated to andre tarkovsky it's like Thanks yeah much. i'm I'm sure he's in heaven watching this yeah, class andre, thing. yeah andre tarkovsky definitely rest in peace andre tarkovsky you would have loved antichrist i would actually love if like tarkovsky was alive to, to watch antichrist I think that'd be very funny. Um, Only to watch Antichrist and then not do anything else. Oh, God. Like... Imagine all the filmmakers who died prematurely, who could have been saved by, like, medical intervention, so they could have been asked at, like, age 70 to 80 what they think of Marvel. Yeah, like... Imagine... What did Pasolini think about Marvel? Never know. Imagine if, like... (laughs) the car didn't hit Pasolini or he survived and like he could be alive now and they could ask him, what do you think of Marvel? And he would be like, who, who are you? I am from. Imagine if the doctors got to the apartment on that fateful day in Germany in 1982 and they saved Fassbender so people could ask him about Marvel. You never yeah. know. That's, That's a horrifying nightmare. Episode. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're, yeah. This is some very unsubtle foreshadowing for next week. Two, I mean, yeah. it, it could also very just easily be me going off about Fassbender, so I feel like yeah. we should. We, we, we learned a lot today about We learned Godard. a lot today about Godard, and I hope you learned a lot today about Godard, too. I thought this was good. We, this was we quite covered, good. We, we covered, covered a lot of ground, not just the films. We used them as a jumping point for conversation, which is kind of really what I yeah. love doing. So I think this was a really good first episode. Yeah, uh, so I'm excited to see how this turns out. I'm not editing this. Dante is. I'm editing so, this. There's um, much more coming where this is from. <laughs> I'm not editing this, so I'm excited to put this on sometime next week and discover that Dante has Homer Simpson to me into saying things I didn't. <laughs> I would never do that. I'm excited to like get things decontextualized. I, honestly, I, I don't envy your situation editing this. This is like two hours of rambling. If I can make one request, end it. With it should play off into the Italian version of Mao Mao from La Chinois. There's like an Italian dub of La Chinois. Oh, that's great. Sure. I should have just watched the Italian dub. What was I doing with my Koch Lorber DVD? <laughs> There's an Italian version of the song that is like kind of folkier. Let's um, play that then. Yeah, yeah, we'll play off with that. So thank, thank you, you for, for listening. listening. Have a have a great um, day. Yeah, have a great day. Except, except, uh, see you at Mal. See you at Mal. <laughs> 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 we're gonna sign off. <laughs>